Hey, good morning, Harvest. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 19. So we're going to be this morning, Exodus chapter 19, those first six verses in chapter 19. And as you're, as you're turning there, have you ever asked this question or wondered, does the Bible have something practical? I mean, like really practical, like, like relevant for my day, the, the grind I find myself in today, for, for the uncertainty and the, the chaos we live in today. I want to tell you this, that it doesn't get much more practical than what we're unpacking this morning. So whatever question you have as you, as you tune in this week and, and whatever you think your need is for, for getting by this week, for, for upcoming exams for you students, for, for work, for figuring out how to parent in this season, for what does this shutdown look like, for the craziness that's all over our world and, and all over the media. Listen, there's, there's nothing more important that we're going to unpack this morning, really two questions being answered. It's this, who is God and who are you? We're going we're gonna to quickly dig deep into a, just a few verses this morning in Exodus chapter 19. And, and as we jump into these, these are the heart of, these verses are the heart of the book of Exodus. Some scholars say this is the heart of the whole Old Testament. You have God's people, they've, they've been set free from slavery and oppression and in Egypt. God's rescued them using this broken man named Moses, a man just like you and me, really. And, and God uses a broken guy, not, not a, a powerful guy, to what? To show his power, God's power, his promises. I mean, it's crazy how often we miss this when we read through the Old Testament and we have these characters coming up, these heroes of the Old Testament. Listen, every single one of them are, are not about us saying how amazing they are. You look at David and Abraham and Daniel and Gideon, every one of them were raised up by God to display the glory of God and his power and his grace, that, that God shows us his greatness. How? By using nobodies like us. Every hero of the Old Testament is God showing us how great he is, how glorious he is. In fact, all along as we're tracking through the book of Exodus, what are we seeing? That God's promising them something, so much more than just freedom from Egypt. He, he's rescuing them to worship him, to experience a relationship with him, to see his glory. That they would understand that, that your reward is not just your freedom, your reward is God. I mean, that's the true freedom we have. Our, our true freedom is not just being set free from our difficulties or from our trials or, or getting what we want. Listen, our reward is this. We get to walk with Jesus, to know him, to know his word, to know his voice, to know his power, to treasure him above all else. So let's jump into Exodus here. If you've got your Bibles open, starting in Exodus chapter, chapter 19, verse 1, it says this. On the third new moon, that just means the third month, after the people of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim. They, they came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. <coughs> so see here in, in, in 
in Exodus, they're, they're being brought to the mountain. If you read in Numbers chapter 10, you read that, that they didn't stay there just for a couple of days. It's not like Moses went up on the mountain for an afternoon and came back down with the, the law. No, they were there for a year. In fact, the rest of the book of Exodus is spent here at this mountain. They stop here for a while for a very significant event. It's, it's here at this mountain where they meet God and God says, I want to talk to you about who I am, who you are. I mean, think about the journey that got them here, right? So many trials, they, they, they had doubted God, they'd complained against God, they'd wanted to kill Moses, they, they were faithless, they were cynical, they were fearful, they had trust issues, they had so many insecurities, they fall and fail a ton. I mean, besides all of that, they're an amazing people, right? Here's what I love about the book of Exodus, though. I love it when I read it because I don't feel like I can relate to Moses, but man, I sure feel like I relate to the Israelites. Right? That no, no matter what God does in my life, no, no matter like, like what song we sing on a Sunday morning and, or what, what message we hear, I mean, it could be a Sunday afternoon and something already sets me off and, and I'm walking in faithlessness again. These guys struggle all the way along. In, in the beginning, they're not so fired up that it's Moses is going to lead them. And, man, this guy was a murderer. He's been a fugitive for 40 years. Then they're set free, and the, the first thing they do is start to complain. They, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Let, just let us go back and live in our sin. Listen, I know my sin is killing me, but letting go of this sin is so hard. I mean, Egypt and, it was all they knew. It had become part of their identity. So even as God sets them free, they're like, I don't know if I want this freedom. I don't know if I want to be under your rule. My sin was more comfortable. And so we hit this chapter here in, in chapter 19, and God's about to lay down for them the Ten Commandments, his law in chapter 20. But before that, he says, listen, before I give you my law, I want you to know who I am. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know what kind of people I'm calling you to be. And so he says this. He says, this, this is what I want you to say to Israel, Moses. He's telling him who they are. And he's telling him what he wants them to be, but he's rooting them both in who he is, in his character, in his glory, in his worth, in his grace. I mean, let, let me just hit this up first. This whole idea of who we are in Christ, who, who we are in God. One of the coolest experiences I've ever had was a, a being blessed to be a part of being invited into the Crawford family as they were adopting their kids and, and to be able to go to family court on the day where the judge declared legally, these kids are your kids. And there's that moment where, where, where the judge bangs the gavel down and says, these kids now, now you are now Crawfords. You're part of this family. And, and people are cheering and crying. And man, I'm never going to forget that. But, but listen, that's the exact same imagery God's trying to show his people here in Exodus 19. God's saying, don't forget, don't forget what I did to the Egyptians. Don't forget how I bore you on eagle's wings. Don't forget how I brought you to myself. Don't forget how I rescued you and adopted you. Not because you earned it, but because I poured my love out for you. He's saying, don't forget that. Don't forget any of this. Don't forget how you cheered when Moses first told you I was going to rescue you. Don't forget how I redeemed you. Don't forget the frogs. Don't forget the gnats, man. Don't forget the hail. Never forget when I fully set you free as I parted the Red Sea. And he's saying, I rescued you and I brought you to myself. 
saying, I adopted you. He's saying, don't forget that day in court. Don't forget that day where, where you legally became mine. I became your father. You became my child. And, and God's going to unpack, hey, here's how I want you to live. But before we get there, never forget who you are and never forget who I am, God says. That God's a father. That God's our king. Now listen, they knew what it meant to be under the rule of a king, under an authority. Their, their problem was they'd only ever experienced evil kings, oppressive kings. Right? If, if there was something good you were going to get from an oppressive king, right, you had to give something up for them. It always came at a cost to you. Your whole life was a cost to you and a benefit for the authority. The ruler got the benefit. You're mistreated for their gain. You're mistreated for their pleasure. And you can start to understand how the Israelites didn't trust God so much. Right? So the, when something hard came into their life, they, they immediately go, man, God doesn't love us. God doesn't care for us. God doesn't have a plan for us. God's about to lay down for them. Hey, hey, here's how I want you to live. Here's my law as your king, but I want you to know me as your father as well. And I want you to know that I am your king, but I'm a different king. To understand that, that in our relation with God, God doesn't get the benefit from this relationship. God doesn't gain anything from our relationship with him. It's not, it's not like God is awesome, right? And we're not. But if you bring God and us together, man, God's more awesome. Now, the only thing God gets out of this relationship with Israel, this relationship with us, are stubborn, complaining, not trusting him, unfaithful, cynical, double-minded people. But because of his grace and his love that he pours out on us as a good father. Why? Why? Not because of our amazingness. Not because he needs us. God doesn't need anything. God is completely, infinitely glorious in and of himself. And so his adoption of us is because he knows that our greatest need, not his need, our greatest need, our greatest reward is his glory. Our greatest reward is him. This is what gives us unshakable foundation. This is what gives us a purpose for our life as a Christ follower. I mean, there, there's, there's a foundation we can build under ourselves, and it's pretty biblical, a foundation we build under ourselves to remember this, that, that I am loved and valuable because God puts his love on me. And then just knowing that, knowing how much you're loved and valued by God, and, and that will carry you for a bit, but, but here's a greater foundation to put underneath you, a greater foundation in living your life. It's seeing God as supremely valuable. I mean, the whole purpose of the book of Exodus is, is the glory of God. So that we would find our freedom in serving him, in worshiping him, in glorifying him, in valuing him above all else. And again, again, listen, this is where God is so different from the kings and the rulers who demand us to worship. God knows this, that our greatest joy is found in living for his glory. So God is a loving father. He's, he's suffering everything to, to bring us out, to draw our hearts to what is eternally and fully satisfying, which is a relationship with him and his glory. So God, about to lay out the law, here's how I want you to live, but he wants to paint a picture of who he is because listen, listen, following God will not always be easy. Am I right? 
It's not always easy following what God calls us to. I mean, I mean, think about this as you came to Christ, right? At first, you're like, man, I cannot believe this. I've been set free. I've been adopted. I, I no longer have condemnation or guilt. I'm called into this family of, of being loved completely and forever. Right? But, but then you start to see the path that God calls us to, and it's not an easy path. To walk in purity, to walk in righteousness and, and, and love, it's not an easy walk. And so God starts here and says, listen, let me tell you who I am. And let me tell you who you are, what I'm, I'm creating you to be. Let, let me start here. In fact, you look at verse 5 and 6. It says this, he says, let me tell you about who you are. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. He said, let me tell you who you are. He says this. He says, you're my treasured possession. You're a kingdom of priests. You're a holy nation. Let's unpack these. Let's, let's start here. Our first point is this. You're, you're a treasured possession. That we are his treasured possession. And that's how, how God sees those whom he's adopted. Kings in ancient times, they, they would have a, a treasure room, a, a place for all the things, the, the nicest things they had, right? It, it's like the original man cave, right? And this phrase in, in Exodus that says, you're my treasured possession, the same word used in 1 Chronicles 29.3, talking about David's personal treasury, where he kept his best stuff. So you put this whole thing together, this idea of, of adoption, and, and you can see we're adopted, we're his treasured possession. You see why all through the Old Testament that we're continually called this, we're called sons of God. Now, As a woman, you're kind of like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean sons and daughters of God. No, no, there's, there's a, a purpose in this imagery of being called a son of God. It, it's, a, it's an amazing imagery because in this culture, the son got everything. The son got the inheritance. To, so to be called a son of God means you get everything that he has for you. And God's saying, listen, I love you. I want to pour out my inheritance on you of grace and salvation and redemption and myself. And this treasure outweighs anything you could ever hope or imagine to get. It, outweigh, it outweighs every other kind of wealth. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, look again at verse 5. It says, you're my treasured possession. But he says this, among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. He says, I own everything. And you're my treasured possession. I mean, do you feel like that all the time? I mean, is that how you view yourself? I mean, I mean like, do you roll out of bed and just like, man, Good morning, I am God's treasure. Like I normally don't, don't, don't think that way, right? I normally wake up, whereas I'm going to sleep and I think through my day, a lot of times I'll be overwhelmed as I'm thinking through all the times I dropped the ball, all the times I failed God, all the times I didn't trust him, all the times I didn't live out this identity, all the times I didn't walk in righteousness. I mean, do, you, do you feel this truth that you're his treasured possession when, you, when, when life is hard? I mean, do you feel that when you're betrayed? 
when you lose your job, when, when a relationship fails, when, when you're wrestling with depression or with fear or with anxiety, when you're, when you're battling illness or suffering or loss. I mean, in those moments, do you feel like God's treasured possession? Again, this is why we circle back over and over again to the gospel. This is why we, we continually need to remind ourselves of our identity in, in Christ because every circumstance is going to try to convince us that we're not his treasured possession. I don't know if you feel this, man. I, I can leave a time of worship. I, I can leave hearing a, a sermon and so quickly I, I do something. I act in a way that, that I, I, I doubt God. I even shake my fist at him wondering, man, why aren't you providing me what I need? And I'm like, in that moment, I'll just stop and think, man, how can I even call myself a Christian? I mean, even the smallest thing draws my heart away from the truth that I am a chosen treasure. And so quickly I'm lost and I lose sight of God and his glory and I'm turned inward just looking at myself, staring only at me or I only see the situation around me and I don't see God at all. I gotta tell you what I miss about pre preaching on a, a normal Sunday when we're all gathered together because when I would say something like that, I mean, I could look around and there'd be perfect people going, I don't get what you're talking about. I always feel like God's treasure. But I could find those of you who are sitting there going, yeah, man, I get it. Amen to that. Listen, in these moments, in those moments when we doubt that God treasures us, in those trials, in those moments where we're caught in sin, we need to remember the gospel, that I was dead in my sin and God flew in and lifted me up, breathed life into me, poured out grace on me, not because of what I did anyway, because of his grace and for his glory. And I remember that so, so that I can now see my failing differently. I, I can hate my sin and I can run to him with it, giving it to him for forgiveness and transformation. In that moment, I give my sin to him and, and, and I can then in that place be in a place of worship saying, thank you, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. When I remember the gospel, I can, I can look at trials and, and the trials no longer have to rule my life. Because in the midst of them, I can say, God, I know what you say about me. I know who you are. And you're so much greater than this trial. And, and I don't need this relief more than I need you. So, so in this trial, let me, to, let me see more of who you are. And we remember in the trial, we remember in failure that we are treasured sons. As, as a parent, you, you can kind of get a glimpse into what this means. Uh, God's heart towards you as a father. Right? In this season we're in right now, I'm, I'm hearing parents who are so overwhelmed as they're trying to make this time work for their kids as kids are not in school. And, and now you're a full-time teacher. You're also the event planner, making sure everything's working. And, and, and I don't know if you're like me, you're seeing other parents on Facebook Right, talk about how they're using all this extra time, right? For their kids, they're taking extra courses online. The, my, my child's learning a new language. They, they've mastered the violin. They've memorized Ephesians. We, we've planted four gardens. We've baked 30 loaves of sourdough bread that we've given to food banks. You're like, really, really? Because my kids, I mean, they're totally crushing Netflix. But, 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 but listen, in that moment, no matter how tired you are, in this season, as a parent, I know it. I know you look at your kids, you're like, man, how can I pour more into my kids? 
Man, I'm exhausted. I don't know how to do this. But man, I, And not because you want to keep up with the Joneses on Facebook. No, no, no. Because you love them. You're like, man, what do I sacrifice today for them to grow? Or think about if you have really little kids. Right? And your kids, as, as they're little, man, they can drive you nuts all day. They have so much energy. I mean, they continue to prove all day that the doctrine of total depravity is a true doctrine. And you so look forward to that bedtime, right, when they're finally asleep and, and <coughs> you're doing everything possible to, to try to get them in their beds. Like, like why are we going to bed at 6? Because it's, it's not, it's, it's just got to go to bed because it's going to be a great day tomorrow. Let's go to sleep. And you're putting them in bed. You're doing everything you can to make sure they're asleep so you can get some time, right? In, in my family, as we were growing up with our kids, Libby and I had this 3B rule for our kids that we're putting them to bed. We had, hey, unless you're burning, barfing, or, or, or oh, now I forgot what they are. Unless you're barfing, bleeding, or burning, right? Unless one of those three things, man, you stay in bed. But even after all that, as we're trying so hard to get them to sleep, and you get some time to yourself, and you find yourself stopping by the room later. Why? Why? Because you just want to look in on them. You just want to watch them as they sleep. Why? Because they're our greatest possession, our greatest treasure. Listen, this is just a glimpse into how God views you as a child of God, bought by the blood of Christ for his glory. We're a treasured possession. Here's the second thing it says in that verse there. It says we are a kingdom of priests. Now, this is a bit of a weird thing to be called, right? That we, we walk out of the first one saying, okay, I'm a treasured possession. I'm a child of the king. He's the king, so I'm royalty. That's pretty amazing. Here we go. And, the, and then he says right away, yeah, you're in this kingdom for sure, but you're a kingdom of priests. You're not some royalty living in a palace, getting all your heart's desire. No, 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 you're not pulling a little rope, ding, to get everything that you want. No, 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 we're priests, and there are two things about priests. Here's one. one. A priest had access to God. So again, God sets us free so we can worship him, to have relationship with him. So, so here you see God driving this, again, driving this home. I am the reward, right? God's saying, hey, not better health, not more stuff, not a better life now. I am your reward. And because he loves us so much and he knows that to glorify him is the best thing for us, to have him... Uh, <clears throat> He wants to have us in this place where we're with him, to know him. And this changes everything for how we live. To, to know that we're a kingdom of priests. I mean, Paul says to the, to the church in Corinth, and, and they're bickering and fighting and gossiping and backbiting. And he's going, what are you doing? Why are you living in this way? You're not acting like royal priests. You are called to rule. Why are you acting like this? So God's not just speaking to our identity. It's saying, this should change the way you live. You're a kingdom of priests. We have access to God. To have him is the best place we can be. But secondly, a priest didn't just have access to God. A priest was a mediator between people and God. So, so we, we walk closely with God, but we also walk closely with people. And especially broken, busted up, hurting people who are far from God. As priests, we go after those people, those who nobody else will come nearing. God's saying, this is who you're supposed to be. Listen, Harvest, as a church, this is who we're called to be. Now, how does this picture in Exodus help us get our minds wrapped around, okay, 
How does being rescued, how does knowing who God is and knowing who I am, how, how does this help me? You know, in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to the church of Laodicea. He's saying they're this, this church who, who they, they thought they had it all together, right? And they loved one part of the gospel. They loved the part that says you're a treasured possession. They loved the idea that we're royalty. I mean, this was the church that had all the money, all the ministries, all the perfect people, but they forgot what was going on in Exodus. They forgot who they really were, that no, no, you were poor and naked and blind and lost and enslaved. They forgot about Egypt. They forgot about God's grace. And so God says something in Revelation chapter three. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. God says, you're, you're so focused on yourself, you're missing the whole point. And he, he's saying, man, you're not hot or cold. Now, what's he saying here? What, what's Jesus saying to the church? Well, well, just east of Laodicea, there was this place called Heropolis. And it was known for having these hot springs. And people come from all over the world just to, to sit and soak in these, these hot springs. They had, they had minerals in them that gave them a, a, a healing property. And people would just, ah. Oh. Now just west of Laodicea was Colossae. And, and Colossae was, seated, was, was situated at the foot of Mount Cadmus. And Mount Cadmus had these snow peaks that would supply cold, fresh water to Colossae. And people from all over would rave about this, this wonderful cold water of Colossae. Now Laodicea, in between these two places, did not have hot water that healed, did not have cold water that refreshed. Their water was piped in down these long pipes. And as it traveled all these miles through these pipes, it would warm up and pick up minerals along the way so that when you got to Laodicea and you would take a drink, man, you'd, you'd spit it out. It was so gross. Jesus is saying the same thing that Israel was told in Exodus 19. He's saying, listen, you've been given all this spiritual wealth. The greatest redemption, the greatest reward. When people come near you, though, they should be refreshed by you. Listen, as a church harvest, I don't mean as an organization. I'm talking about each one of us as Christ followers, each one of us as royal priests. We should be a people who bring healing, who bring life to our community. If we disappeared, if they never let us be here, and we're like, well, we just gotta go, and we left our towns, our people in our community say, man, where did they go? They brought us healing. They brought us life and refreshment. As priests, we're called to be the ones who are crying out to God for healing and restoration in our communities, in our world. We're the ones called to be on the front lines, to be praying and fasting and serving the broken, praying for healed marriages in our church and in our community, praying for restored lives, pleading with God for people to be set free from sin. Listen, we're the ones that God gave this job to. Why? Because we've received a grace that we so badly want the rest of the world to have. All of us. Listen, if you're a student and, and you're, you're watching right now and, and you're just cruising and waiting, oh, I'll become a royal priest later. Like as I get older, that's when God will call me to it. No, it's like right now, right? Like you right now have friends that need you. You have a, a community around you just waiting for you to step in with healing with life. 
And we're going to unpack this more in the next sermon series. We're going to take a break from Exodus for four Sundays starting next Sunday. And we're going to unpack, hey, what does this mean to really live this out? To be on mission. We're going to, we're going to be studying the book of Nehemiah in a series called Get Up and Work. It's a series that, that if you believe deep down inside, I mean, you get this. Man, I've been redeemed and rescued for a purpose, for something more, for his glory, created by God to do something eternal, to do something that matters. So what do we do? We go out as these priests in this kingdom. We, we work hard for God on this mission, not as slaves laboring in exhaustion and bitterness to a tyrant king. No, we are God's treasured sons, royal priests, his greatest delight, serving a holy God. And as we do this, listen, we're going to look different. In fact, our last point this morning is this, that we are a holy nation. Now, holy there, it, it means set apart. We're going to be different. We're going to have a, a different standard of morality. We're going to have a different way of life. We're, we're, we're called, actually, to be like God. God says, be holy as I am holy. And so our, our whole way of life as this new community we've been called to as Christ followers is different. You don't just go about your day now as someone who's been adopted by God. You don't just go, I'll just, I'll just have a little bit more inspiration for my life. It's just going to feel good to be part of this community thing. No, 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 no. You didn't just join a club, right? You've been rescued to a whole new culture. And the gospel now changes everything about your life. How you do work, how you do marriage, how you do family, how you do finances, how you do sexuality, how you do your hobbies, how you do entertainment. Everything is changed. And as this new community, listen, we become a light to a dark world. I mean, think about it. When, when you live as a holy nation, when you stand out and do life differently, the world is watching. When you give sacrificially, when you serve, when you don't buy into the world's view of life, listen, at work, you're going to stand out. At school, you're going to stand out. And as you do these things, as you serve, I say, man, I'm going to pursue God as a holy nation. You're preaching so clearly to your own heart. You're preaching to the world that the world's values don't dictate my joy. I can give sacrificially because money does not define me and does not define my joy. I mean, think about it, when, when the Israelites finally make it out of here, when they get into the promised land, where's the promised land? It's not some far away, removed country, way away from everybody. God plants them right in the middle, surrounded by nations. They're a trade route from Mesopotamia to, to Egypt. So there's, the world is coming through the promised land, seeing Israel over and over again. And what are they doing? They're to stand out as the world looks at them. As the church, Jesus prays for us, and he prayed, Father, don't take them out of the world. Don't take them out of the world. Just don't let them be overcome by it. We're to be a light in the darkness. So, so that when the world looks at your life, they say, man, you, you guys forgive so freely. You forgive so completely. You, you serve so joyfully. You give so sacrificially. You, you're not so tied down to status and money. Man, you actually love each other. Man, you don't just use people. Maybe as a, as a guy, the people look at your life and go, man, you treat girls differently than the other guys in high school. In, in your job, man, you work differently than the other people here. In social media, when people look in at your social media posts and go, man, you respond differently. 
Listen, it begins with knowing God as the greatest reward and us as a rescued people. And so, so we boldly stand up and stand out as a holy nation. And, and we're standing out there for the truth, not because we're right, but because we're rescued. We see here that God saves us and demands of us at the same time. But in his demands of us as king, we see who he is. And his command for me to be holy, to live for his glory, they're, they're for my freedom, for my flourishing. His law is not optional, but his law is not burdensome either. It's, it's not burdensome because we realize God's law doesn't save me. That his grace is what saves me. But his law is not optional either because it's not optional because it costs Jesus everything. As we close, look again at verse 5. What's it say? It says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. So he's saying, be a holy nation. And if you do this, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. All these things are true about you. Now, now, I don't know. When I read that now, it's no longer good news. It sounds more like bad news. Definitely bad news for the people of Israel because immediately right away, they forget God. For you and I, I mean, how, how, do we, how do we get these truths? Then How are they true about us? I mean, I don't want to be a treasured possession. I, I want to be a part of a kingdom of priests. I want to be a holy nation. But if you look at my life, I mean, how can this even be possible? I mean, if you're listening this morning, you don't know Jesus, your whole life is conditional on this if. If I'm faithful. If I get this job, if I have health, if I have money, if I get the relationship I want, if, 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 and these things we put the if before, they, they become our identity, they become our future and our hope. Man, if I have this, then I get this. And listen, it's so tiring, it's so burdensome, it's so fragile to live trying to stand on the ifs. If your joy and your flourishing is dependent on the ifs, it's a scary place to be, but the gospel says something different about us. In fact, I love how Peter picks up these exact same verses in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's picking up the whole Exodus thing. He's, he's just taking these verses from Exodus 19, but now see how it changes. There's no if here. He says, you are this. Listen, all of Exodus was pointing to the cross of Christ, was pointing to Jesus, where God sends his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus lives that life that we could not live, obeys perfectly. Fulfills the if, and then he dies in our place, dying for the sin that we commit, so that now that if becomes you are. In Jesus, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. And so this morning, we proclaim the glory of God in that. We worship Jesus because he's made us able to be these things. Listen, that he, he loved you. He died for you. 
He rose from the dead. And listen, listen, he reigns and he rules. He has all authority and there's nothing, nothing more satisfying than him. Let me pray right now and let's ask ask him to, to fix our eyes on what it means to be a treasured people, what it means to belong to him. And after I'm done praying, we're gonna spend some time in worship singing this out, that our hearts would be drawn to this God. God, you're my God. You're my hope. You're my everything. Let me pray. God, God, I just thank you so much. I thank you for the privilege of being your possession. God, we gladly say yes when you call us to this way of life. Yes, that we belong to you. Yes, that we follow you. God, we're overwhelmed that you would treasure us. I pray right now that every follower of Christ listening to this right now, God, that they'd be totally overwhelmed by your glory. That this this morning, that this would just shake the rest of their day. That they they would walk out in a humble confidence, not because we've done anything to, to earn this designation of what you say about us, but you, Lord Jesus, you've made it possible for us. You died on the cross for our sin. You rose from the dead that we might become your treasured possession through faith in you. God, help us to live out this every day. Help this be the overflow of, of how we live our life. God, that we would be able to say, as your word says, whom have I in heaven but you? On earth, there's nothing I desire but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you're the strength of my heart. You're my portion forever. All glory to your name, Lord Jesus. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.